knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petucci. And And this this is The Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode five of The Science of Motherhood. Thank you so much for pressing play. So today, Mika and I sat down with the hilarious Megan Telpner. Megan was someone who, when we were first conceiving of the idea of this podcast, Mika and I both sat down and we kind of hashed out our top five people that we would just die to have an interview on the podcast. And Megan was by far Mika's number one choice. So for all those playing at home, Mika used to live in Canada and this is where she kind of came across Megan. I feel like they are soul sisters. (laughs) They are both very – like into like low-tox living and um, have a huge passion around nutrition. And whilst Mika was living in Canada, she in fact did one of Megan's courses and you'll hear about this in the beginning of the podcast. Um, It was bordering on stalkerish, but we got through. So, Megan is a Toronto-based author, speaker, nutritionist, and founder of the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. She's written two best-selling books, Undiet, Eat Your Way to Vibrant Health, and The Undiet Cookbook. And so, Megan's success in cultivating a global community of undiet enthusiasts and culinary nutrition experts has garnered her a feature in Forbes and ranked her as one of the top 100 female entrepreneurs in Canada. So, (laughs) this woman is not only well accomplished, she is absolutely hilarious. She makes a really hilarious comment about singing the Spice Girls song to become one when referring to, um, how should we mention it, tearing. Um, She talks about how she took matters into her own hands to induce labor by um, self-inflicting some castor oil induction and then having to push her son out through explosive diarrhea. So (laughs) although there was a lot of comedic moments throughout this interview, on the serious side, I found – Our discussion with Megan, so empowering. Um, You know, this woman meticulously planned conception, pregnancy, postpartum, and it all went pear-shaped, essentially, just to the shit. But because of the work that she had done prior to the very challenging birth that she had, she just picked herself up and lent on that knowledge and just accepted that that was that and that she was now going to empower herself with the knowledge that she had accrued over all of these years And so she talks about, you know, having to accept that she now has to hand over control when it comes to, you know, the birth and how she could no longer be so rigid in her ways because she had to think about not only herself but the health and future of her son. So I thoroughly enjoyed this interview I just 
loved it. And I think I'm now in love with Megan Taubner as much as Mika (laughs) is, which is saying something. I don't think this is going to be our last interview. I know it's not going to be our last interview with Megan. She is just amazing. So next time we will have her on to discuss all about low-tox living. But in the meantime, please enjoy the lovely, empowering, and hilarious Megan Talpner. And I will say a huge thank you to Megan for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, both of you. Thank you. It is our absolute pleasure. And I have to say, this is Mika here. I'm such a big fan of your work and I've been following you for several years. I really love that you provide so much evidence-based information on your blog um, on such a broad range of topics. And it's in a really, it's in a way that's very digestible and interesting um, and enjoying to read. Um, and I'm going to sound like a stalker because I have seen inside your house <laughs> because I did your Healthy at Home course. Oh, wonderful. And I loved it. I learned so much and there was so much evidence in there that I wasn't even aware of in terms of home health, which we won't have time to go into today. But just the practical tips um, and obviously seeing what you guys do after following you and your husband for some time, I was just, it was definitely an exciting course for me to undertake. Um, but today we'll be talking. My husband, he's been around forever now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, but today we're going to talk about something else. And as you've kindly offered to share up your birth story, which you've labelled on your blog as where nothing goes as we'd planned. Um, so when you're ready, let's just um, let's just jump in. Yeah. So I um, well, the healthy at home course you mentioned was inspired by my initial research into preconception planning. So oftentimes women, and it's mostly, or the, you know, mostly the women who are carrying the child that actually think about suddenly they get pregnant and then they start thinking about what they're eating. And that's kind of the limit of it. And I was thinking, well, whatever my body is, and for lack of a better term, it's the vessel, or I called it the boutique hotel for (laughs) the life I was going to be creating. And my husband, though his part is short-lived, was contributing 50%. So I started thinking about what are the component parts that we are going to be putting together that are going to create this human, and how do we make those component parts as healthy as possible? And we had just moved into a new 100-year-old house. So we had done full mold remediation. We had done all kinds of stuff. And then we did a renovation. And then when we started considering the materials that were going in, I'm like, this environment that we live in, that I sleep in, that I spend most of my time, and even though I go to my office, like I'm here for eight to 10 hours, let's say, I'm still there for the other 12 to 16. So... That was the first thing. What am I inhaling? What's absorbing through my skin? What am I sleeping on? And that was sort of the start of this evidence-based approach I wanted to take to creating the healthiest, most superhuman child in my capacity. And so that was where it started. And then um, when we decided, okay, let's pull the trigger, as it were, I got pregnant instantly Um, felt horrible almost instantly, and after 11 and a half weeks had a miscarriage. So that was my first experience in doing everything sort of, quote, right, (laughs) and being like, and no, okay, so now what? Um, And it was really interesting because throughout that first pregnancy, and it was my first pregnancy, it didn't feel right at all from, like, like, I felt sick. I felt hesitant. I had deep anxiety. I was like, maybe I'm just not meant to have children, but I'm pregnant. So we're going to go with it. And I'm going <laughs> to do my mental work to, to figure it out. But, and, and then I miscarried. Um, and it was a very, and I miscarried the day before we were moving out for this renovation. So it was like, let's do this all at once, shall we? <laughs> um, and, so, and so that was kind of it. And then I got pregnant again immediately. Wow. And so it was sort of, then it was like, okay, so now we're in like the seven-month first trimester. 
That's tough. It was so hard and I felt so bad, but then that passed and I was good. Like by month four, and it, we, I was about six, I was 18 weeks when we filmed that course, Healthy at Home. And I was trying to like hold it in until <laughs> we filmed that because I didn't want my pregnancy to date the course. And I, and I remember we filmed it over the weekend. And then on the Monday, I announced my pregnancy. And it was almost like when I announced it, like my whole body just blew up. Like I'm five <laughs> feet tall. So there's not a lot of place for this to go. Yes. And I did again. I, I read the evidence. I was following everyone I thought I should be following. I was doing, I was going to an osteopath. I was doing prenatal yoga. I was getting acupuncture. I was drinking all the right herbs. I was avoiding all the right foods. I was doing, I was going for pelvic floor therapy prenatally because at the time my greatest fear was um, everything tearing into one. I would sing, my, my husband, it drove him crazy. I would sing the Spice Girl song to become one. <laughs> Um, <laughs> that is terrible. terrible. <laughs> and like looking back, I'm like, oh, if only that was as bad as it got. And everything, and I was working with my midwives and I had a doula, and like everything was like on track and perfect. Um, until I got to 40 weeks, 41 weeks, 42 weeks. So I agreed to a late-term um, uh, ultrasound when I was about, I think I was 10 days past sort of the quote due date I'd been given, which I had never fully agreed with, just knowing my cycle. And I mentioned it to my midwife and she's like, oh, don't worry about it. You know, give or take five or six days is no big deal until I was past my due date. <laughs> yes. And so then I had um, an ultrasound and the ultrasound showed low amniotic fluid, that the baby was massive, the head was massive, um, and then everyone started raising all the alarm bells. Like at the hospital, they wanted to induce me immediately, and I was like, no, I'm going home. Um, I went in that evening for a stretch and sweep with the midwife, didn't do anything except cause excruciating discomfort. Um, and so it was sort of like, it just kept carrying on I was going for two hour walks every day and like no action so the midwife was pushing for um like a medically induced induction and I had said from the get-go I'm like if it comes to that I'd rather go straight to a c-section because I don't want to be in labor for 36 hours and then have surgery and like I'd read the data I was like this and she's like no so I, I decided I would do a castor oil induction. Oh, my mom and did that. I can, can't even say the words. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, it was horrible because not only am I now 42 weeks pregnant at five feet tall, but I'm having like explosive diarrhea, which did stimulate labor finally. So I started drinking the castor oil in the morning on, I was 41 plus I think it was. Um, so I started that in the morning, had a stretch and sweep around 4.30 p.m. And then the contraction started um, while I was still diarying castor oil. Mm. And the contractions were, and I feel like this should almost have like a warning for people who had a similar post-traumatic um, experience with birth. But the contraction started almost um, immediately every two to three minutes, but like we're doubling and tripling okay. on each other. So I couldn't, I could barely drink water. I couldn't catch mm. my breath. Mm. So that, that ended up continuing for, I guess, eight hours to around four in the morning. And at that point I was only four centimeters dilated and now hadn't eaten in almost 24 hours. Oh, wow. um, and that was when we discussed a transfer of care. And that was ultimately around 5.30, I think, was when we got to the hospital. And I got an epidural and oxytocin, which was simultaneously my greatest fear and the best thing that had ever happened to me. <laughs> like, like I, love, are, I love that description. <laughs> it was like, like we are, we, you know, we have decided, my husband and I, that we are having only one child. It would be very difficult after having the experience I had to attempt a, a drug-free 
birth after experiencing the magic of an epidural. And even, you know, I knew all the risks inside and out. But at that point, I was like, I'm not going to survive this. Like, there is absolutely no way. And, and you know, ultimately, my the, the, the baby had aspirated meconium. Mm-hmm. So after another, around, like it was around, he was born at 7.42 p.m. So this is, this is now 36 hours or so into the process. Um, they said I could try pushing once. And if we got him far enough, then I could deliver him. And still releasing castor oil out of my tushy, <laughs> I pushed with all my might and I delivered him in like 10 minutes. Wow. Um, after all of that, but he had aspirated meconium and was blue. And so he ended up in the NICU for a week and I ended up sleeping in a closet in the hospital for a week because they're not set up here for, for mothers to stay when babies are in the NICU. Oh. So okay. that, so that is the story of my drug-free home birth. <laughs> What almost was I? Um, oh, there's, yeah, there's so much in that to unpack and and talk about. And I think um, you know, it sounded like you were doing all the right things throughout pregnancy with all of those wonderful practitioners supporting you. And I have to say, I had a similar experience um, myself. I don't think I probably went as deep as you in terms of my home environment, but we did a lot of preconception planning and care. Um, we did like several heavy metal detoxes, and we were on our supplements and really making sure we were as healthy as possible because so many women, um, you know, get pregnant when they're already quite depleted. So I do believe that's a really good um, place to start. Um, And I got to 41 plus four days before I had my induction, not my induction, an ultrasound that said exactly the same thing. You've got low amniotic fluid. I was like, go home. You're going to come back tomorrow and be induced. And um, it certainly wasn't part of our plan. Um, And I think... And I was induced the next day at 41 plus five. And it definitely is very uncomfortable once you go over. I'm much taller than you, Megan, but I still felt I turned into that really, you know, that pregnant woman, like, don't come near me. Don't touch me. I was pregnant. I was like pregnant up to my eyelids. My whole face (laughs) had like melted into my body. But, But when Finn was born, my son was born, he was not giant. And his head was not giant. I was going to ask that. Center was in perfect condition. Yeah. Because mm. I, I was, was told that as well. My daughter was measuring two weeks ahead, and I thought, oh my goodness, um, this is going to be an interesting be really push. Scary. Yeah. To tell the mothers, like a lot of friends of mine who get told that, they're like, I'm just going to have an induction or a cesarean because this baby's just too big for my body. And I think information is valuable but for some reason I think it can create a lot of fear as well and, and we got told it was low fluid level and when we when I delivered the next day it wasn't low fluid level so um as you're touching on Megan I think those ultrasounds can be really inaccurate a lot of the time as well um but yeah I <laughs> definitely think that miracle of pregnancy stops once you start to go overdue um and I definitely agree with you with the stretch and sweep. I had my neighbor say to me, oh, it doesn't even hurt. You won't, you know, you won't feel it. It was so excruciatingly painful for me that I was like, I'm not going to be able to deliver this baby. I was so much more nervous for labor, which I hadn't been before. Um, and it didn't work. I had to have several of them and they certainly didn't work. But um, I wanted to ask about your um, doula that you said um, was she supportive of these medical interventions or was she just trying to support you the best she could during these? Yeah. So she was, she was amazing. And she's now, I think, almost done her schooling to become a midwife. Um, she was amazing and she did the best she could to support the decisions I was making and continue to support my birth plan to the best of her ability as you know, things got peeled away. And like my birth plan was so specific that it, like it said it written down, if I say I want to go to the hospital, talk me out of it. Okay. Um, and, but at some point, like I have always defied convention mm-hmm. and I'm not in alignment with a lot of what happens in conventional medicine. And when it's just me, I'm good. But suddenly it's another human um, and that was when I kind of had to 
hand over the control and the power. And it's so hard. Like you can't, you know, my son was in the NICU for a week. You know, he was on an antibiotic drip. He was having a fluorescent yellow drip of dextrose. There was a Wi-Fi router over his incubator. Like it, it was like, you know, everything that I was like, so not wanting to be his first experience on the planet. Um, but, and intuitively I, I, I knew he wasn't ready. Like intuitively Mm. I was like, this baby is not, he's not ready to come out. And now that like, I know him, like he, he was not ready. Like he is, he's not, I don't want to say he's slow, but he does things at his pace. He like likes his Italian lunches. Like he'll eat for an hour and a half and he just goes at his own leisurely pace always. Um, and so the biggest challenge I had then and still do when I think about it is, is just trusting the decisions I was making in the moment with the best information I had and what mm-hmm. felt like the safest and most right thing. And now what I tell other families in similar situations is you have to take in the information as early as you can when you're not in that situation so that you can make the best decisions for yourself not out of fear, but out of wisdom and knowledge and intuition. And the biggest lesson for me of all of this was considering like what I call the, the end of one is, is the human who is undergoing all of these things that you like the human is not the statistic. I am not a statistic. I'm Megan and this is my life, and this is how I live, and how I eat, and how I take care of myself. So yes, there are all of these risks with all of these things, but then you have to put the human into it. Where do I fall into that spectrum of risk and adverse events and and all of that? Yeah, I think you're so right there when you talk about, you know, when it's just you, it's fine to sort of not fine, but it's, you know, it's your choice and you're going to be affected. But when you are having a child and someone else is impacted, and also I think your first child often that birth plan, I know for, for mine, it certainly was a lot more strict and rigid, like this is what I wanted. And it was sort of, you know, you just maybe not as aware of how quickly things can change. Um, so, but yeah, I think it's definitely something to consider. And I think women would find themselves in a similar position going, this is what I wanted. I'm trying to do all the best things for my baby. And at some point, you know, you do, almost, you know, I think that's why it's important to trust your birthing team because you do have to hand over that trust and control in a lot of ways to them, especially when something like this is happening. Um and trust that they are making the right decisions for you and your baby. And, you know, obviously you've said, you know, after birth with Finn, him going into the NICU is not what you planned at all. And as I was rereading that on the blog the other day, I was like, I could totally agree. Like, you know, the Wi-Fi, like, you know, we turn the Wi-Fi off in our house overnight. So the thought of that being on the top of my baby, you know, when they're so little and new um, would be terrifying. But at the same time, you know, we're also very lucky to have that care when it's needed um but I also agree um, my daughter was not ready to come out um she had not one sign of being overdue or overcooked my body wasn't ready to go into labor it felt very forced and it wasn't until afterwards that someone said to me oh you know you can refuse an induction and I wasn't even aware of that you know and I don't know if I would looking back either because we're both happy and healthy um And it's so hard to know what the right decision is. But, yeah, now knowing the personality of my daughter, she sounds similar to your son. Like she just does – she's not stubborn, (laughs) but she does things in her own time. And she just wasn't ready. Um, But I think that's as far as I sort of let you go over here in terms of timing um, with being overdue. And I was definitely getting to the end of it. Um, And so with Finn being in the NICU, you obviously weren't able to – breastfeed straight away is that correct I was I started pumping oh oh is that horrible it wasn't even pumping it was like squeezing the milk out and my husband Mm. with a syringe sucking up the colostrum so we could put it under his tongue he Finn was having trouble breathing um so we had I think we waited a day and but we were able to give that to him Mm -hmm. and so he was born on a I want to I don't remember right now I think it was a Thursday, maybe it was a Friday by the time he showed up. Um, but I do know that come Sunday morning, we were told he could 
start breastfeeding, but I couldn't get him to latch. And the the lactation consultant at the hospital was was useless. And so I, you know, through, you know, the network of, of women that comes together, I, I found a lactation consultant who came to the hospital on the Sunday morning um, and had, got him breastfeeding within, I don't know, 10 minutes um, oh. so we could get him off the fluorescent. And it was like the drip, like he smelled like, um, like, like a chicken noodle soup from a packet. Oh, like it just smelled like he like he just smelled like chemical like it was yes it was horrible. But again, like like all of this happened, and he is beautiful and thriving and fine and so strong. And I think and you know so I don't look at it being like oh I wasted all my time doing all that or how naive of me to think I could do that. It's that I was still all of that still mattered. Yeah. I had this traumatic delivery was on all this medication and I felt amazing instantly. Mm. Like I had no complications I had, and I was doing like the pelvic floor. And I don't know if you have in Australia, the, the epi now. No. So it's a device that's been banned in Canada. Um, I think it's available in Europe still, but it's like a balloon modeled after what some women do in parts of Africa where they use incrementally enlarged gourds to stretch the vagina so there's minimal tearing. So this is almost like a balloon that you slowly inflate and you try and stretch until you get to around 10 centimeters. Oh, wow. um, so I would like listen to like meditations on like blooming flowers as I would like <laughs> pump the thing to try and stretch everything out. Um, but I did it. And so I think that's why I was able to deliver them so quickly. Mm, yeah. With no tearing. I had one stitch. Um but so my body, and then I put on, I got one of those belly bands. Like I did my research. So I yes. had a belly band. So I like belted everything in as soon as I could get it on. Um, and so I had no lingering issues physically. Mm. And my son had no lingering, you know, we were dismissed early from, we were supposed to be there for a week because he was supposed to be on antibiotics for a week and they let us go early. And, you know, since then I have some psychological trauma that I'm working on healing but our physical and his physical and emotional well-being, like we're fine. And I, it was like all the things. And I think that so many women who plan for their, you know, their perfect hypno birth and the pool and the visuals and the music and the crystals, crystals and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, sure. Like I think about it now, like I'd made a slideshow of photos of like my husband and I and all our good times. So if I hated him in the moment, I'd be like, no, but he's still okay. That's but a really like, good idea. <laughs> I don't think it would work for me. No, no. And like what I think is funny is like when I think about that now, I'm like, huh, right. That was going to help. Yeah. Just wasn't you my just, experience. Yeah, you don't know until you know. But I, um, I totally agree with how you, what you just said before, and that all of these wonderful efforts you made from preconception through your pregnancy, and even your choices in labour. I think you know, they all still count. They're not just like I didn't get what I wanted. It was just a waste. I think it's all such a valuable input for the body on you know different levels. You know, nutritional, physical. You know lots of different ways that are going to support and sound like they did support you and your son coming out the other end, you know, much better off than I think a lot of other people would after such a long labour and, um, you know, such a quick pushing stage as well. Um, so, no, I think that hard work is never undone and I think I think so many women can relate to your story that they didn't get to achieve the certain outcomes that they wanted um, and, yeah. um you know, that, that, that's, that's okay. Sometimes it happens. We can't control everything. And like you said, the reality is you're all still thriving and doing really well. Um, yeah. And I think... A, you mentioned about women feeling that they couldn't achieve what they wanted to. And, and that was something that was brought up to me a lot. Like, how do you feel? Like, even though you didn't... Succeed, and I'm like, I had a baby and we're alive. Like, that was ultimately the goal. Of course. And I, and I think that... Um, that needs to be the the only goal ultimately at the end of the day like I would have loved to have slept in my own bed and had a shower in my instead of like I was in a cinder block cell but we are we're we're alive like I didn't die he didn't die and to me that's 
the best outcome possible, no matter, you know, what has to happen to get there at the end of it. I think, you know, if we put in every effort we have with the knowledge and resources we have available, and then you kind of just have to hope that there's two breathing, living, thriving beings on the other side. Oh, I, I totally agree. I think um, yeah, what I was more referring to is like achieve a certain outcome in the way that the birth happened. But I think so too. I always think, you know, even with my own experience, it was, I wouldn't say it was traumatic. I would say it's intense. And I think, well, I shouldn't really complain because we're both happy and healthy at the end of it, which isn't always the case. But no, I am learning I'm allowed to feel those feelings and have a sense of loss. But at the end of the day, yeah, the same thing. I think, you know, mum and baby being happy and healthy is all that matters. And, you know, if these babies don't come into the world the way that we'd planned, that's fine too. It's almost like the first step into motherhood where, you know, things don't go as planned. (laughs) You can't control everything. You have to learn to let go, uh, which has been a big lesson for me in motherhood. Um, But I think what we'd like to do now after hearing your story is um, maybe talk about some of the things you might have done once you finally got home. Like it sounds like you did the right thing and you're very proactive by getting, you know, the hospital lactation consultant wasn't working for you guys. So you were very proactive in getting someone else in that sounded like they were for us, like a good lactation consultant is just worth their weight in gold. And it sounds like that was the case for you. And getting that latching and that breastfeeding going as soon as possible is so beneficial for both of you, if that's something that you're able to do. Um, but were there some steps in terms of nutrition or lifestyle modifications that you um, did after, you know, after that experience to try and um, not get back on track, but to try and you know, sort of realign yourself with your values, um, you know, with your son, he was on antibiotics. Did you try him on any probiotics or was it just through the breast milk? Like things like that, I think, for women to go, okay, yep, I had a similar experience. It didn't go the way that I was hoping, but, you know, what can I do now? Like what's the next best thing? How right. can I support myself? Um, I'd love to hear any of how you did any of that would be really interesting. Yeah, so I remained aligned throughout so while I was in the hospital like I never left the floor that I was on and had food coming in so I wasn't eating the hospital food because to me it's and taking care of my own health isn't is, an, is a, you know my set point is such that it's just not an option a donut and a coffee is not an option the yellow muffin they served me the morning after I had my son uh was is you know with a little pat of margarine um so I maintained my diet, stayed hydrated. Uh, we did, I'm trying to, it's so wild how everything is so acute at the time and then you kind of forget it. But when you asked that about probiotics, we were giving him a little bit of a probiotic and I was just being super mindful of my own intake. So just trying to replenish as much as possible with tons of broths I'd made. Well, cause he was two weeks late. I, I'd planned on having a certain amount of food prepared and because he didn't show up and I'm a culinary nutritionist, I just kept cooking. So we had (laughs) so much food and I had what I created as like what I was calling the mama milk, which was like an oat milk with flax oil and cacao and raspberries and just Mm. loaded up. So I was like sipping on that constantly and I'd made liver to replenish the vitamin A and I was just really looking at how I can eat as much calories, as much fat, as much essential fats to just build my body um, and be able to to be producing enough food for my son. Um, so it was just like a constant, like in in one door and out the other, um, to to be getting him uh, nourished and to replenish my own my own stores. And I, you know, my husband and I. Are, you know, we're quite intentional with pretty much everything. And so we had also planned to both take the entire summer off. We both have our own businesses. So he was home and the biggest challenge for me wasn't nourishment, but sleep. And it's still sleep. Like my sleep has not regulated. And so the best, the best moment of my day, I don't want to say the best moment of my day, but when I would feed my son at five or six in the morning and then my husband would get up and take him out for a walk. Um, and then I would get like two uninterrupted hours of sleep at that point, knowing I wasn't going to be woken up by a cry. I was just going to be woken up because my sort of morning nap was over. Um, that 
that was really important and just like doing what they always tell you, sleep when the baby sleeps mm -hmm. and, and making sure I did that during the day. Um, to me, that was the most critical and remain, the sleep was the hardest thing for, for us to manage. But his, like, I mean, my son put on weight steadily. Uh, he ate a lot. And, you know, I look at photos of him when he was three months old and I look like I'd had like a tummy tuck and a boob job. And he's like this massive meatball of a baby. Like he was taking everything from me. And then it was like the next decisions of when we introduce food because like I wasn't producing enough to assist. Like he was a big boy. Um, I wasn't producing enough to, to sustain him. Wow. I've, I've seen some photos of Finn and he is absolutely gorgeous, but he is a big boy. Um, <laughs> But was he's actually, like he's almost four and I have a nephew and they're about nine months apart. And my nephew is like a really slight slender. And I, once I picked him up, it was almost like I almost threw him over my shoulder. Cause I'm so used to looking at my son who's like, like made of lead, like so dense. Yes. Um, and, and so it was that transition, but ultimately afterwards, just, it was really focusing on, I, I trusted that if I focused on my own health and my own nourishment, he would get what he needed. Yeah that, yeah, that all sounds amazing in terms of the diet to help support with breastfeeding. We are very much into promoting, you know, beautiful, good quality fats in the diet. It needs to be such a big thing for mums when they're breastfeeding. Um, so all those beautiful fats can get through to the babies. And I love the sound of your cooking, you know, cooking up a storm and having a well-stocked freezer. We are big believers in that in our postpartum doula business that just having those, you know, nutritious meals to pull pull out when you've had one of those days. But, yes, yeah, sleeping, I think sleeping when the baby sleeps is something sometimes mums struggle with um, because it feels like there's so much to do. But I completely agree that getting that rest and looking after yourself, you know, happy mum, happy baby, like bottom line. Yeah. And, you know, you know, you know mum that's well nourished, not just well fed. Um, well nourished is, you know, obviously a really beneficial thing um, when breastfeeding as well because your calorie intake goes it's higher when you're breastfeeding than it is through pregnancy. And often after pregnancy, you can have quite, you know, can be depleted. So we actually add liver to some of our meals as well to try and just get all those nutrients in. We're trying to become liver lovers. Um, <laughs> such a great way to get that nutrition in if it's something that you do eat. Um, and, yeah, I think talking about the probiotics that you're giving some to your son, but also what you're taking in and obviously – all the really beneficial things that breast milk has in it as well. Um, it sounds like you were doing, yeah, an amazing job when you guys got home. And I wanted to ask is, you know, you said you were very intentional with that time afterwards. Did you have a postpartum plan outside of taking that time off? Like in terms of did you have a postpartum doula? Did you have, you know, after having that experience in the hospital, was family time even more precious? So you're just like limiting the visitors and things like that? Yeah, so it's interesting because I limit visitors always. <laughs> I <laughs> so love that. Like, you know, with the, with the with the pandemic and the restrictions, and I'm like, no, I'm you know, I mean, now I'm kind of over it. It's been long enough. But I'm an introvert, and you know, really value my space and my privacy and quiet time. And I was, um, and and almost because of the delivery and it was almost like an extra layer of excuse to just not have anyone over. And, you know, I didn't need someone to come and look at me and look at the baby. Um, so I, I just, it, it wasn't a need for me. And if it's a need for someone else, then that wasn't my problem at that time. I just had to take care of, of us. And so I was pretty, um, pretty firm on who could come and when, and just didn't, didn't care. And if someone came over, then I had a job ready for them to do like, here's the laundry. Um, and I didn't have a postpartum doula cause I, my, my mom is, uh, amazing and she lives nearby. So she was something of my postpartum doula bringing meals over and coming over and helping with the laundry and cleaning and or taking Finn for a walk if we both needed a nap and so you know we had the support of of family in that way and she's just you know she'll come in let herself in do some stuff and leave and if that's what was needed then you know she was she was able to thankfully provide that for us uh, but if you don't have someone then you need to find someone 
um, whoever it could be, uh, you know, postpartum doula, I think is such a blessing. Um, if you don't have family or if it's not the right, the right family, you know, family has different roles in our lives and we have different family members that have different roles. But if you, you know, having someone where there's no obligation to entertain, to offer them a drink of water, to, you know, to be able to just come in and do what is needed for you is invaluable. Um, so yeah, we, we were pretty strict on that. However, that being said, I had expected Finn to arrive early June and he arrived late June. So three weeks after having him, I did have to come and do a program information session for a course that was enrolling. Um, and that was, I think the first time I, I left the house and you know, it, it actually was really fantastic. I was really grateful to be able to, you know, in the midst of all of this that had gone so sideways and not been the experience I had expected to be able to show up in my office and do something that I knew what I was doing. I could do it really, really well. It was like a little taste of like, oh yeah, I do still exist. Like I am still here under all of this spit up and poop and pee. And, you know, I got dressed and I put on some makeup and to me that felt really, really good. And I did do a little bit of work even during that three month period. Um, mostly by choice because, you know, again, I love what I get to do. It's work that I've chosen or that chose me. And for me, that, that gave me a semblance of sanity and allowed me to focus on something that was outside of myself and, and our little, our little, um, circle at home. And, and that was, that was really, um, for me, really beneficial for my mental health. Yeah, that's really interesting, Did you, Megan. I was um, reading on your blog the other day about uh, why mum guilt is total nonsense. And I think just touching on that, what you were just talking about, you know, the fact that you, you left the house and you've got work to do because you're, you know, you're a mother and that, you know, comes first and foremost because, you know, that's your responsibility now when you've, when you've got a child. But I was really um, kind of touched by the story that you were talking about when you went out for lunch with your mum. I'm going to read the quote from your um, blog here. My mum and I were once out for lunch with a friend of mine who had had a young child and recently split from her partner. My friend was explaining that her partner made her feel guilty for wanting to take a couple of hours to to herself once in a while. My mum called her on it straight away and said, guilt is a choice. It has nothing to do with your partner. You can feel guilty or you cannot. It's up to you. And when I've actually got like pins and needles, like kind of like, yeah, all over. (laughs) And I just felt like that's actually really profound. That was something I struggled with a lot um, in my postpartum, taking time for myself because I had switched from, career mode to mother mode and I'm a very all or nothing person and I was like okay I'm all about being a mother now and I did not take time for myself there was very Mm -hmm. minimal self-care which is probably how I've led myself into becoming a postpartum doula because mothers need to be looked after mothers need to be given the opportunity to have some time away and to have that self-care so did you want to speak to that because I I find that you see so many mums talk about feel about mum guilt yes yeah so it's been interesting because I think my going back to work um as much as I did and even once, like I was, took three months totally off. And then once I was back to work for the first while, I was basically coming into work for about three hours. Mm-hmm. So I would breastfeed my son till he had a nap and then I would come and he'd get one bottle while I was gone. And then I'd be home for the next feeding. Um, so, I, but I'd be at work like pumping and it was almost easier. I'm like 10 minutes from home. It was almost easier just to go home and feed him than sit with these bottles on my boobs. But uh, <laughs> I think that part of, going to work, I was, um, thinking that was self-care. Okay. And I, I ended up, my burnout didn't come right after having my son. It came about eight months later when I'd become so sleep deprived and was kind of now trying to manage a full work day on half the time. Cause you're like, you're breastfeeding for almost six hours a day. 
um, if you're, if you're choosing to do that full, full on. Um, so what I've come to terms with though, like the self-care is so important. And I knew that I would never be a mom that could be all in on momming. And, and part of me was accepting that about myself because I felt like life would be easier if I could just accept that this is what I'm going to do for this period of time and dedicate it all to my child. But I also know myself well enough to know that that was not going to sustain me and not to put that down in any way. Like my mom was a full-time mom. It's too hard for me is what I will say. Like I just don't have that kind of capacity to give that level of attention and care to conscious parent all day, every day. I don't, I'm not that strong <laughs> as a person. And to You're me, just not wired that way. I'm not Which is wired fine. that way. Yeah. But what I've come to learn now in terms of self-care with, you know, an almost four-year-old is that I need more time to myself than my husband needs to himself. And so my challenge now is being okay with my, my husband's saying, okay, I'm going to take Finn grocery shopping so you can have a couple hours. And for me to, to just be like, okay, and then to actually go and take care of myself for two hours. And that to me is, is the bigger challenge than when I had an infant, because now my son knows that I'm choosing to not go with them and to stay home by myself or to go and do something. And I find other ways to, you know, have my one-on-one time with my son but I think that commitment, and I, and I don't ever feel guilty for it, but I sometimes feel like I'm missing out. Gotcha. If that makes sense. Like, no, I don't absolutely. Feel bad for me the time. It's I that, am I missing out on like some precious moment that like I'm gonna like because the you know they change so fast and things happen so quickly when they're this young. But if I don't get that nap or I don't do that workout or get that yoga class or just go for a walk by myself, even. I am going to be missing out because I won't be able to fully present, be fully present for the moments where I, where I am physically present. And to me, that is the bigger discipline and the bigger exercise a lot is not just taking the time, but being present with the time you're on your own so that you can be more present with the time that you're with your family. 100%. I could not agree anymore. And I think not just the other day I was saying to Mika that I left work early because I thought, okay, I'm about to go pick up my daughter. She's nearly four um, as well from childcare. And I, I was like, I'm so exhausted. And I thought, okay, I'm solo parenting tonight. I'm going to leave work half an hour early. I'm going to go home. I'm going to have a quick like reboot nap on the couch. I think it was 15 minutes. But I was like, if I don't do this, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be an angry mother tonight. <laughs> I was just like this is going to be exhausting for everyone and it was just the best thing and I think you know that's something we highly encourage our friends family clients all of our community to kind of you know just as I say it only took 15 minutes and it was a much more pleasant evening particularly you know you have to come home and cook and do the bedtime routine and bath and everything so yeah that's yeah. I couldn't I, I uh, agreed more so my, I'm in my office here where I'm speaking to you, which is about 10 minutes from my house, as I mentioned, and I've been in here forever. I used to live here and then moved out with my husband. And But two, a year and a half ago, I bought a bed for here saying like, I'll just get it now. And then when Finn's ready to move into his bed, we'll move it home. Well, I bought a second bed. <laughs> like, you know what? This is not leaving here. Like, because that's just the thing, even, you know, when I'm on, I have to go do pickup, my husband and I alternate, or even if I'm coming home late, but I know that I'm going to come home and need to be full on yeah. for like the mom show, um, you know, just lying down for 10 or 15 minutes before, so that I can regroup, process any thoughts I need to process, write in my journal, whatever I need to do so that I can go home and not just, you know, not lose it. Mm-hmm. on everyone yeah. but to actually enjoy it and have fun um that's sort of that balance you can be like a neutral parent you know you're just like okay step one is dinner step two is bath step three or you can be present and enjoy it and your child as we know 
reads our minds, our souls, and our energy. And if we go in there cranky and aggravated, they are going to mirror that back at us and the whole thing just explodes. And so consciously showing up, you know, with patience and kindness, taking the deep breath before you open the front door, you're going to overall have a calmer experience. And maybe that's a lesson for every single aspect of life. (laughs) (laughs) No, that's so true. And just going back to that, uh, you were discussing how in your postpartum, you know, you're obviously an introvert um, and we highly encourage, like we have a uh, FYC village, so Affiliate Cup Village is part of our um, program. And so we obviously encourage people in their, uh, you know, prenatal uh, time to create that village, get people around you now. As you say, get the plan in now, get the information, the knowledge, the power. But I was reading the other day how, and it's a perspective because I'm very much an extrovert. I kind of, I don't know if it was remiss of me, but I had never really reflected on what it would be like as an introvert in the postpartum period. And I'm just going to read this out from the blog because I was kind of taken back by this. Um, You were talking about the challenge with support as an introvert and you've said, we're often told to ask for help, being reminded that it takes a village to raise a child. What many mothers do to cope is often to call on support network of friends and family, invite someone over to lend a hand, I couldn't. I didn't have the energy. I thought of having a- the thought of having anyone over, even family, felt like more effort at times. It would mean making conversation that I just didn't have the energy to make. And so you've said, as an introvert, this creates a strange conflict. So you've spoken about, you know, your mum being able to come over. What were the other things that you did? So you know, obviously you practiced the self care, but were there are situations where you know a lot of people are introverts and they struggle with setting those boundaries as well with friends and family were there any things that you put into practice pre fin arriving or or even post where you kind of had to implement some things have you got some practical tips for our listeners I'm a lifelong antisocial person. No. Uh, yeah. I I mean I was always happy to be the first one to leave a party. Yeah. Or like the Irish exit where you leave without saying goodbye to anyone. Yes. <laughs> if that were appropriate, that would be my thing to like avoid the end of event chit chat. Mm-hmm. And you know, I'm I have written books and I used to have to do these book tours and 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 the way I just said that I used to have to do these like so I had learned how to create boundaries so that I wasn't, you know, vampired of my energy. And I feel like having a child a little bit just lent to the excuse. It was just a better excuse than I don't have the energy. It's that, you know, we can't do that. It doesn't work with our schedule or, or whatever it was. Um, but the, the chat, like I had, and, and I'm fortunate that I, you know, I have wonderful friends who know me and, And, you know, I mentioned my mom. And so I I had a network of people that I could text or call if I needed to for, you know, if I didn't know what I was doing in the moment. (laughs) I mean, like, what's happening? (laughs) Um, But the the challenge was, and I had my work, which helped me too. But like, for me, the thought of going to like a mom and baby group was like, knives in the eyeballs like that was the last thing I wanted to do like I don't want to go to a yoga class and bring my baby and chat with a bunch of moms after I want to leave my baby and go to a yoga class with a bunch of people who don't want to talk to anybody else (laughs) and like I you know I used to joke like I'm not gonna be the mom that goes to the music classes I did often go to the library classes and the gymnastics uh just because it was so cute watching my son and like, I enjoyed that, but I still wasn't, I was not interested in like making a circle of friends because we were all moms. Like I, I, I didn't relate to motherhood in, in that way. Um, and I had, like, I had, you know, you, I think it happens when you're pregnant at the same time as other people, you kind of naturally find each other and connect Mm -hmm. and can, share and you know through Instagram there's many people who had babies around the same time as Finn that I've come to know um 
And like, that's a really nice resource to have. But for me, creating a social gathering around this one shared thing, it just had no appeal to me. To me, that was just going to take more energy and effort. And um, even as as real, and there was also a lot that involved day drinking, which I don't fully, it's not my thing. Um, So I wasn't going to go to like a mom lunch and drink wine. I never drank wine in the daytime before. This wasn't going to be helping anything. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I started doing that. And, you know, there is a big, like, mom booze culture, which is, you know, very challenging for a lot of people for a lot of reasons. Um, I get it. Like, there were definitely days where I'm like, this would be easier if I just had a little tequila right yeah. now. <laughs> but, you know, that works for five minutes, and then you just feel really sick and tired, and oh, it's yeah. only new. I don't know this from experience. I just want to say I've not been drinking tequila in the morning. But, um... So, so there was just a lot around it that just didn't, wasn't going to fill that need for me. And for me, it was just, okay, I just need to get to tomorrow. And how do I get to tomorrow with as much ease and the least amount of exhaustion as possible? Um, that being said, like, I know there's amazing women's groups and mom's groups and parent groups and dad's groups and, you know, caregivers and, and different things that, will work for different people. Um, as, as my son got older and his nap schedule worked, I would go around the corner from here. There's a public school that used to have, um, like an early on program that was amazing. So it was basically up to usually around three year olds. And I would go and I got to know a couple of the moms. I was really going just to be with my son there. And then we had a caregiver that would come meet us there. Um, so like I was getting glimpses of it, but really I would go to this thing and uh, coincidentally, a girlfriend of mine that I've known since we were 14, who (laughs) bought a house near us, had a son two weeks after us, I would go and I would just talk to her and we could basically like, we're the kind of friends that like we could make plans and we would sit beside each other and look at our own magazines. And (laughs) (laughs) I have one of those girlfriends too. They're the best. (laughs) (laughs) So we go there and just kind of like, how are you doing? Good. You good. Just kind of sit beside each other, taking comfort that we can hang out like that and our son can play. And so it's just sort of navigating. And I think the most important thing is just being true to who you are and not thinking you need to sign up for something or go to something or enroll in something or child needs to be part of something to be good at being a mom or or whatever it is to I, I in my opinion and I think I learned this from the best mom ever which is mine that if you take care of yourself first then so much takes care of what's needed I one of my earliest memories is my, my mom um was always would always go to the Y I don't know if you have a Y there or what it's called but like a community center uh, uh, yes, for yep, yep. a morning aerobics class yeah and one of my earliest memories is sitting on a mat at the back of the class with my bottle while my mom in her like Jane Fonda you know spandex <laughs> and, and leg warmers in the early 80s did her workout and like mm. for my mom it was like she had to take care of herself I would be fine and I was mm. and I remember going with her and I always remember her doing what she needed um, having her boundaries. Um, and, and now like I admire her for that. And I, I model that because it worked. I think I turned out okay. My brother's questionable, (laughs) but, but, you know, always, she had her limits and she's always taken care of herself and her well being. And to me, that's admirable. Um, and something that I have strived for and continue to. Oh my goodness. I could not agree with any of that anymore with all of that I think you've just really summed up what we are about in our business and our philosophy as mothers is you know our business is called fill your cup um, because you can't pour from an empty cup and I yeah I love so much of what you touched into about you know self-awareness and what you need doesn't have to be the you know what's set out to do Um, I think also bringing some awareness for other people say to mother's group that maybe you know they didn't realize how more challenging it might be for someone in that group to turn up and to be there but finally just saying with your mum and I and I agree and it's like I'm probably learning the hard way in motherhood is by looking after myself I am actually modeling something really wonderful to my daughter um, that this is important and passing that on and it's okay to have that time and it sounds like it's worked wonderfully with your mum and I'm sure that's what you're passing on to your beautiful son Finn as well and we just um 
yeah, I think that's such a great message and probably a good spot to finish, even though I would love to talk to you for hours, but I'm conscious of time over there um, for you. But I'm just going to say, actually, we might just ask you two more really quick questions that we just do to to wrap up, which is, Firstly, what um, can you tell us what's on your bedside table? It's just a little fun question we ask our guests. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because my my husband thinks my bedside table should actually be a dining room table because of how much stuff is on it. <laughs> All right, so we need some more time. <laughs> so I have, and my bedside table is actually quite small, but it's crowded. So I have an essential oil diffuser. Um, what's your favorite little, oils? Pardon me? What's your favorite oils scents? I I often use blends. A girlfriend of mine um, makes the most amazing essential oil blends. Her company's Living Libation. So I usually have like a longevity or um, I also love the trees, like a white pine or a balsam fir, like something that makes me feel like I'm in the forest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have that. I have a tray of crystals that I've collected um, for crystals from travel <laughs> I, you know I don't know much about them or what they are I just know that they mean something to me um recently I started the five minute journal which is amazing okay so it's a book called the five minute journal where it literally I think it takes less than five minutes but it's just every day you fill in um you wake up and you say what are what am I grateful for three amazing, th- three things that would make today amazing and the mantra for the day. Mm-hmm. And then you end the day with three amazing things that happened that day and what you, mm-hmm. how today could have been better. So it's like a really, really uh, quick and simple way to marinate and high vibrational goodness. So that's currently on my bedside table. I have my Kobo. I read about 50 books a year. Um, so it's like a Kindle. Uh, so I have, so I'm, I have that. I have a red headlamp like the dork that I am because to I'm literally I need a dining room table for this um I have a red headlamp because I read at nighttime and my e-reader doesn't have a red light in it It has a full spectrum light and I don't want that light in my eyeballs because of serotonin melt like the circadian rhythm so I use like I'm a minor with a a red headlamp on to read and because my my sleep is still disrupted, um, mm. I'm still working on it. So I, if I have to get up and read in the night, if I'm not sleeping well, I'll put on my red headlamp and chapstick, <laughs> earplugs, sleep mask. I think we've blocked all orifices now. Yeah. <laughs> it's like Santa's sack. We just keep, for, like, you've got heaps of stuff in there. I'm telling you. And a little <laughs> little digital clock. Um but yeah, my I need a larger bedside <laughs> table. It could be a dining room table and I would fill that too. Yeah. It all sounds good. It sounds like lots of goodness that you need to be when you're, you know, waking up or going to sleep. I'm definitely gonna check out that book. It sounds yeah, me amazing. Too. Um, yeah, it's, it's really it's like it gives you six months worth. Um yeah, I just got it. I got it for myself and my entire team as like our New Year's <laughs> staff for my staff and uh yeah, it's great. Oh, excellent. Wonderful. Well, as we um, wrap up, can you let our listeners know where they can find you as well, please, Megan? Yeah. So I'm at megantelpner.com and I do have a little tab on my blog for mom and baby related posts. And And they're amazing. I will just say I love them. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. And I have uh, my main job these days is I run the Academy of Culinary Nutrition, which is uh, a 100% online school where we offer a 14-week certification program for people who want to develop their culinary nutrition skills for their home and family life or to create a side hustle or a full-on business uh, sharing skills around cooking and health. Um, and we have a few other uh, mini courses that are easily accessible. Uh, so that's all at culinarynutrition.com. And it's such a great time to be upgrading or, or, you know, doing some nice cooking adventures with the family as well. So be sure to check that out if anyone is interested. And we will just say, <clears throat> oh, plus my voice, I will just say a big thank you again to Megan for joining us and for all of the amazing journey that you shared with us and for being vulnerable and authentic. And um, I loved it. I really enjoyed the chat today. So a big thank you. Well, thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks, Megan. 
If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services, including our postpartum in-home care and our Fill Your Freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.